faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? We're continuing our message series this morning, dealing with feelings. And the feeling that we want to deal with this morning is the feeling of being comfortable. Now, I want to differentiate, right here from the start, the difference between being comfortable and being content. Uh, being content is a good thing, and it's something that God calls for us to do. But being content uh, is not the same as being comfortable. So what we want to talk about this morning is um, this desire that we all have to be comfortable, whether in our life or in our faith, is that a good thing or is that a uh, bad thing? So I want to start off this morning by taking a look at a quote from C.S. Lewis. Many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. He's one one of the um, greatest Christian minds, really, of modern times. He uh, was born in the very late 1800s and I believe lived to uh, 1963 or so. Um, and this is a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, um, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. Now, that's something that we, we really ought to just stop and, 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 and ponder just a little bit in and of itself, because a lot of people do turn uh, to religion to try to make them happy. C.S. Lewis says that that wasn't why he went to religion. He said, I always knew a bottle of port would be able to do that. But he said, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly do not recommend Christianity. And I want you to just reflect on those words a little bit. If you want a religion that, that's going to make you happy, if you want a religion that's going to make you comfortable, he said, I, I don't suggest Christianity. But let, let's face it, that is why people oftentimes go to church, is, is, is to, to feel comfortable and to, to feel happy. But you see, it didn't used to be that way. You see, something changed a couple hundred years ago. Um, in the 19th century, in the 1800s, um, li liberalism attacked uh, the teachings of Christianity in the church. Everything was thrown into question. Things that were always accepted, you know, from the time of Christ on were, were attacked and, 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 and just um, there's a lot of skepticism uh, from the Bible, whether or not that was really God's word. Uh, that was attacked in the 1800s. Um, whether or not Jesus was really born, whether or not uh, he really rose from the dead, what, you know, just all the major tenets of Christianity were attacked when, when liberalism uh, began to question faith. And so what happened is, is as people began to question the, the pillars of, of what the faith was always about, Christianity somewhat changed, and it became what uh, many people refer to as a crutch religion. That is, Christianity becomes a religion for people who are hurting, for people who are struggling. It's your crutch. If you lean on it, God will take you from your not being comfortable and will bring you back to being comfortable. So, so the, 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 the major teachings themselves are questioned. Many within even Christianity would begin to deny them, but people begin to look to church to just kind of make people happy. Around the same time, the Word of Faith movement starts in the 1800s, and the Word of Faith movement says that God does not want you to be uncomfortable. 
The Word of Faith movement says God does not want you to be unhappy. God doesn't want you to be sick. God doesn't want you to, to, to have difficulties. God, God wants you to, be, um, to always be healthy. He wants you to live to 120. He doesn't want you to have any sickness. He doesn't want you to have any trials. He doesn't want you to have suffering. So the Word of Faith movement jumps on this kind of crutch religion thing and says, if you believe enough and if you have enough faith, then, then that's the end result of Christianity. Complicating all of this then, um, after we get past World War II, um, there's, there's wealth that comes to America and to the West on a scale that's never been seen before. Now, when I go back to think about my grandpa, my grandpa's life, my grandpa's house and so forth, I remember seeing like the, 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 the initial like whatever, mortgage, whatever, in my grandpa's house and how little he borrowed in order to, to even build that house. And his house was like, I don't know, like a thousand square, square feet or something. And, and that's just, it's not how it is today. So people that, they, before World War II, you know, people lived simple lives. They only built what they could afford. There wasn't a lot of wealth and prosperity. But after World, World War II, this, this concept that Christianity is this crutch religion that, that will, will get you through the difficult times, followed by the word of faith, which says God wants you to be rich, happy, healthy, and all this other stuff. Suddenly the gospel of the church changed. It changed from what's the true gospel to a gospel of comfort. Now, what's the true gospel of the church? What was it for the first 1,800 years since the time of Christ? The true gospel is this, that you and I are sinners. That you and I, that, that we were dead in our sin, that we were separated from God, that we are deserving of hell. You see, people don't want to talk about that word anymore, but there is a hell and we were deserving of that. But God loved you so much that he sent his son into this world. He calls us to repentance and believe in Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven of our sin and we have eternal life. And now Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That is the historic gospel of the church, but it has been replaced in the last 200 years and churches have bought this new gospel of comfort that God, God wants you happy. God doesn't want you to suffer and he doesn't want you to have a bad day in your life. And if you are, if you just lean into him and if you just pray enough and if you just have faith enough, he's going to fix that. You see, it's, it's the crutch, right? You get a crutch when you get a broken leg. It helps that, like, that's what, that's what the gospel has become but it's a false gospel. Look at what the Apostle Paul says about false gospels that he says inevitably will enter the church. Um, look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Paul says that I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're running to a different gospel. Paul says, it's really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you, they're confusing you. And that's what's gone on in the church in modern times. People, people become confused and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But Paul says this, that even if we, one of the apostles, even if an angel from heaven should come and preach a gospel other than the one that's been preached to you, let them be under God's curse or let them be eternally condemned, Paul says. As we have already said, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. The church in the last 200 years has forgotten what the true gospel is, and it's been replaced by this gospel of comfortableness that we all resonate to. We want to live comfortable lives. We all do. But it's not what God calls for us to live, and it's not the gospel. 
But, but, but the, the easy thing for preachers is, the easy thing for, for Christians to do is to preach and to teach that gospel because it's the ones that people want to hear. And if we're trying to win the approval of people, then that's what we teach. But if you're trying to win the approval of God, you teach the true gospel. Look at Galatians 1.10. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If we were still trying to please people, he said, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's what I want to challenge you with, is that you cannot please people and also be a servant of Christ. In fact, I'm going to take it uh, to to, uh, uh, the next step, and that is this, is that I believe that this... this, um, this comfort gospel is from Satan, and it's, it, it, Satan uses it to really under, undermine who God really is. Because if you believe that God never wants you to suffer, if you believe that God never wants you to struggle, if you believe that God never wants you to be ill and to, you know, to, to, to have um, hardships of any kind, then what happens when you do? Well, maybe, maybe God isn't all-powerful. Maybe the sovereignty of God means that he doesn't really care for me. He doesn't really love me or he just chooses not to. And so Satan will use this, God, this false gospel of a gospel of comfort to actually cause us to question who God really is. But you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not one of comfortableness, but it's one of taking your cross and following him. Let's, let's take a look at what Jesus describes what a person's faith is supposed to look like, and you're going to see how incredibly different it is than a gospel of comfort. The first is this. Jesus calls for us as we live out our faith to deny ourselves. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to be my follower, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross and follow me. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says you must deny yourself? How do we deny ourselves? I don't really know a better way to describe it other than, you know what? There's a bunch of us trying to deny ourselves when it comes to like food and our weight. You know, I'm trying to deny myself foods that are high calories. I'm trying to deny myself like snacking and stuff like that. And and like, I'm at like the upper end of beyond, a few pounds of beyond the upper end of what I'd like my weight to fluctuate. And that's not a good thing because Thanksgiving's coming this week. And then there's Christmas and then there's New Year's, right? And you got to count for an extra 20 pounds there. So it ain't going to be pretty in another like six weeks. And so there's this battle, this denying, like I want it, but, but I've got to try not to. I've got to try to deny myself. It's a battle. So like even going into dinner last night, you know, uh, cooking up some T-bones. All right, I'll cook it up for them, but I won't eat it. Well, maybe I'll have some. Then my mom's in town and she makes these stinking cheesy potato things that are amazing. And I like eat half a dish of that. And then there's, I kid you not, a sheet cake that's this big. And I didn't have to eat half of it. I didn't have to. I just wasn't good at denying myself. So what is Jesus saying when he says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my follower, you've got to deny yourself. It means that there needs to be a struggle that's taking place, that there's things that you're wanting to do, but you're choosing not to do it because, you, you know, God's telling you that, that you shouldn't and so forth. And, and so that battle should be raging. Are you denying yourself in terms of how you live your life as you try to be obedient to Christ? Jesus also says, not only do you deny yourself, but you take up your cross and follow him. Look at Luke chapter 14, 27. 
And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Is that a gospel of like comfort? Not at all. C.S. Lewis says, if you're going to want, if you want a religion of comfort, you don't be a Christian. Why? Because if you're not willing to carry your cross, which is an instrument of death, you can't be Jesus' disciple. A cross is, is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of suffering. It's an instrument of pain. And are you willing in your faith to, to, to suffer and to go through pain? You see, we're willing to suffer for our kids or maybe our spouse or our best friend, someone we love. We might be willing to give an organ to or maybe even ultimately die. But are you willing to do it for your faith? Because Jesus says, you know, the, the gospel is this, that you were a sinner condemned to hell, but, but that God loved you and that, that you're to repent of your sin and that you have forgiveness in him. Now take up your cross and follow him. And that includes denying yourself that a battle needs to be going on. And that, that includes that there should be like just the suffering that is part of it. In fact, that's the next part is that to be like a follower of Christ isn't a call to comfort, but it's a call to be subject to persecution. Look at Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember this, Jesus said, a servant isn't greater than its master. He says, if they persecuted me, how much more should you be persecuted? A servant's not greater than the master. Jesus is the master. Jesus was persecuted. So you need to expect that you're going to be suffering and that you are going to be persecuted for your faith. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In, fa in fact, everyone who wants to live, what, a godly life will be persecuted. If you want to live a godly life, in fact, if you are living a godly life, you must be persecuted because you're not greater than your master. And Jesus was persecuted for living the life of obedience to his father. Now, I know so many people that have this, what I would call is why bother attitude. You'll hear, hear people say it. It's like, you know what? If the real jerks in the world that, that have no morals, if, they, if, they're, if they're doing what they want to do and they get ahead, why should I even bother? If my coworkers at work that are being dishonest, if they're, why bother? Here's why we bother, because we're not called to live for the approval of men. We're not called to live according to the pleasures of this world. We're called to like deny ourselves to be struggling, to take up that instrument of death. We're called to, to have persecution as a result of our desire to live a godly life. Are you being persecuted right now in your life? And if you're not, why aren't you? probably because you bought into the gospel of comfort. Jesus says that if we're to follow him, we've got to be willing to give up that gospel of comfort, especially when it comes to even our homes. Look at Luke chapter 9, 57 to 58. Now, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, you know, foxes, they have dens and birds have nests. I don't have any place. I don't have a house. I don't have any place to lay my head. Well, what happens is the guy goes away. He's sad because he's not willing to give up his house, right? Now, thankfully, God's not calling us, or at least I'm not aware that he has recently, to give up our homes. I mean, if he did, we would we'd really have to struggle with that and ultimately have to follow him. But, but I, I do know this is that, like, you know, even like this is one of the things that keeps us from even being able to tithe, right? I said in my grandparents' day, like, they, they built 1,000-square-foot homes. They, would, they, they built what they could afford. Now we buy, 
you know, we built 3,000, 4,000 square foot homes. We have homes with like pools and hot tubs. We have uh, homes with like uh, uh, pool tables, media rooms, lots. Of, we have all these things, right? And, and we're not even, we're not able to give 10% of what we have to God, let alone like our, our give up our whole house. Why? Because, well, we chase comfort. Jesus said that if we're going to be a follower of him, it's not comfort that we should desire, but we have to be even willing to forsake our family. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, his mother, his wife, and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even if he doesn't, if he's not willing to hate his own life, he's not worthy to be my disciple. Now, what's Jesus, is Jesus just want us to like hate our relatives? Does he just want to hate ourselves? No, but he's saying that, you know what, when it comes down to it, if, it, if, it's, if it's your relatives that, that, that are believing this and this is against me, you choose me over against your relative. He says this, when it comes to you, if, if your desire is for the things of this world, then in the end, I want you to hate yourself, hate your own desires and, and, and put me first. Is that a gospel of comfort? Jesus says we have to be willing to give up the material possessions of this world. Look at Matthew 19, 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, this is to the rich young ruler uh, who came to Jesus and said, what, what do I have to do to become perfect? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give everything that you've just sold to the poor, and you'll store up treasure in heaven, and then how about you come and follow me? And the rich young ruler was unable to do it. Once again, thankfully, Jesus hasn't really asked me that I'm aware of, and probably you, to necessarily sell everything. But the question that I have is like, where, where are the material possessions in your life and where are the priorities in your life? And do those material possessions keep you from, from serving God in your life? And one of the easiest ways is, is how we give our offering and if we have an offering to give. And once again, I'll always tell you guys, here's what we need to do. We need to go to our credit card statement. We need to go to our bank account statement. And you see where your offerings are to God. I mean, are they like, like midway or are they beneath the dog food? Are they down there with like your daily Starbucks, or are they up there with like your mortgage payment? Our desire is to live a life of comfort, so we're more willing to like give God not his and, and to put the money in the things that would give us comfort and to not have a problem with doing it. Ultimately, we're told this, that we have to be crucified with Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. What he's saying is, I have been killed with Christ. As Christ died on the cross, Paul says, I have died on the cross too. I'm not even alive anymore. But it's Christ that has become alive in me. This life that I now live in this body, I live by faith. Why? Because the Son of God, who loved me, and gave up his life for me. That's the true gospel, guys. The true gospel is that, you know what? I was dead. I was deserving hell. But while I was still a sinner, God just loved me so much that he came and he rescued me out of the depths of hell and he's given me the, the glory of heaven and of eternal life. Now, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. You know, from time to time, I... I get asked by people, so what are you? What's your, you know, what's your, what's your ethnic 
makeup and background and so forth. And so when people ask me, you know, what are you? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm 75% German and I'm 25% Italian. I had three grandparents that were 100% German and I had one grandma that was 100% Italian, okay? So 75, 25. So that, that's who I am. But that was really who they are. Is that really who I am? I mean, if I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't speak German. Well, I mean, I remember a couple words my grandpa would mutter. Yeah, I eat bratwurst a couple times a year. Occasionally a spaghetti and meatball, but I really don't like lasagna, and I certainly don't speak Italian. So am I really German and Italian? No. I mean, my, my grandparents were, and that was much more real to them. But what am I? I'm, I'm a conservative American Christian. That would be a better description of who I am, not what my parents or grandparents or great-grandparents were. That's what they were. That's not what I am. I bring this up because we do this now when it comes to our faith. Jews have done this for a long, long time where like, what are you? What's your religion? Well, I'm a Jew. But, but they might not go to church. They might not practice their faith, but they're still a Jew because that's their culture. That's their identity. I worked for a, a Jewish guy when I was in seminary because uh, I worked at this catering place. He was a, a, you know, this gay Jewish guy. And, and there was nothing about him that was Jewish. There's most of the parties that I worked at, worked for uh, were Jewish parties, but they weren't like faithful to like the, the religion, Judaism. These people were just Jews in name only. It's because it's who their parents were and who their grandparents were and their great-grandparents. Catholics have always been great about this too, right? You know, what are you? I'm a Catholic. You, you may not have gone to church since you were baptized, but you're still a Catholic. And what happens when you try to marry someone that's not a Catholic? You become disowned by your parents or grandparents. The church won't even do the marriage, right? Because it's just such a, a terrible thing. You know, it's not a terrible thing to, to really not be at church for the last 10 years, but man, it's a terrible thing to marry someone that's not a Catholic because it's your culture, it's your identity, and it's who you are. But you know what? Protestantism, Protestant Christians are becoming much the same. I can't tell you how many people that they, they think that they're a Christian because, well, they went to church when they were kids. They think they're a Christian because their parents, you know, were elders or deacons in the church. They think they're Christians because their, their uncle was a pastor. They think they're a Christian because they've got, like, a Bible passage, like, on their wrist or God or a cross tattooed on their shoulder or on their chest or on their arm. But that doesn't make you a Christian. In fact, God's not really impressed with that at all. Jesus dealt with those same type people when he walked this earth because people who thought that because Abraham, because we're descendants of Abraham, we're children of God, and, and, and that meant something to them. It didn't mean a whole lot to God. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Jesus says this to the Jews. He said, produce fruit that's in keeping re repentance. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. You need to repent. That's what you should be focused on, Jesus says. And don't think that you can say to yourselves or to him, we have Abraham as, as our father, because I tell you that out of these stupid stones and rocks, God can raise up children for Abraham. He doesn't need you. In the same way that, that Jesus isn't impressed by people saying, you know what, Abraham was our great, 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 great granddaddy. Jesus isn't impressed that you, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here, but this could be one of these nice holiday conversations you have. Jesus isn't impressed like you used to go to church when you were 10. He's not impressed that your dad's a pastor. He's not impressed that you got that 
how much ever a cross tattoo costs on your arm. In fact, for people like that, they're going to end up hearing these words out of Jesus. Truly, I don't know you. Look at Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's only those who do what? It's not those who live comfortable lives in their faith. It's those who do the will of Jesus' Father that is in heaven. Jesus says this. This is where it gets really crazy. Many are going to say to me on that day that we become before the Lord on judgment, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In fact, didn't we drive out demons in your name? In fact, didn't we even perform miracles in your name? In Jesus' response, he says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. How can people prophesy in the name of Jesus, drive out demons in the name of Jesus, and perform miracles in the name of Jesus, and Jesus look at them and say, away from me, you evildoers? Because what? They, it's because they are Christians in name only. They, they, they don't take up their cross and follow Jesus. They're not obedient to the will of the Father. Jesus says it's only those who do the will of the Father that he will recognize. And for those who put his words into practice, look at Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, but not only hears Jesus' words, but what? Puts them into practice. Not, not everyone who hears these words of mine and just find a very comfortable, relaxing, like life to live. But those who hear these words of mine and are willing to put them into practice, they'll be like the wise man who built his house on a rock. Because when the rain comes down, when the streams rise, when the winds blow and beat against the house, it will not fail and it will not fall because its foundation is on Jesus. And that foundation is a real foundation because the, 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 the belief in Jesus has been put into practice. The cross has been picked up and carried. But, Jesus says, there's going to be people that hear these words of mine but aren't willing to put these words into practice. And in the end, they're going to be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain's going to come down. The streams are going to rise. The winds are going to blow and beat against that house, but it's going to fall with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught like someone who had authority and not as just simple teachers of the law. The gospel of comfort that God wants you to be happy, listen, that's, that's, not, that's not in the Bible. It's not. Think about the prophets. Think about anyone God used. They've all had like, they all had like very difficult lives. And God calls for us to live the difficult life too because no servant is greater than his master. You know, and I care for you too much. I care for God too much to just tell you what you want to hear. And I'm not trying to call anyone's salvation into question this morning. I'm not. But what I am trying to call into question is the gospel of the church over the last 200 years. Because the gospel has been perverted and it's been changed because the underlying belief that Jesus is the Son of God that has redeemed us from our sins, that there is literally a hell that we have to repent of that sin to be saved, that has been knocked out and it's been replaced with 
religion's for the weak, and it's for those who are struggling and hurting. And if you're hurting, God doesn't want you to hurt. He'll make it all better. And in the end, that's not a gospel at all. It's a lukewarm gospel. It's a false gospel. You know what? A, A belief that God wants you to be comfortable is a lukewarm faith, and Jesus speaks out against that. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. Jesus is speaking about a church here in Revelation, and he's speaking to John about this church. And look at what he says. He says, I know your deeds. You're not cold and you're not hot. I wish you were one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and I don't need it. I'm comfortable. But what you don't realize is that in your comfort, that you're wretched, that you're pitiful, that you're poor, that you're blind, that you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold that's been refined by fire. You see, God wants us to suffer. He wants us to have difficulty. He wants us to have illness. He wants us to have pain because it's through that that he refines us, that he separates the impurities from the purity. Jesus says, so that you can truly become rich and white clothes to wear and so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and that you would have salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Jesus says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It doesn't say those who I love, I I make comfortable. And so if you feel like you're being rebuked this morning, if you feel like you're being disciplined, you know what? Give thanks to God because this is how God loves you and me. He says, so be earnest and repent. For here I am, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person, that person with me. To the one who is victorious, in fact, Jesus says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Think about this. This is hard teachings that I'm I'm hitting you with, but for those who are willing to follow the will of the Father, that are taking up the cross and following Jesus in faith out of response to the true gospel, not the false gospel of comfort, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the right to sit on my throne with me. Just as when I was victorious, I sat down with my Father on his. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God doesn't call for us to live a life of comfort. What is a lukewarm Christian? It's one who tries to live in comfort. It's one who goes to church when it's, you know, convenient, when it's safe, when, when they got enough sleep or there wasn't something else going on or every so often. It, 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 a lukewarm Christian is someone who, you know, we're willing to kind of help people out when it's easy and when it doesn't take a lot of our time or energy or money. But you know what? Sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it takes a long time. And sometimes people are really broken. You know what? A lukewarm Christian only helps when it's easy to help. They only serve when it's easy to serve. They only give financially when, like, there's money that's left at the end. Uh, you know, for, for someone that, that, that's a comfortable Christian or a lukewarm Christian, it's like, we'll believe the Bible as long as it doesn't conflict with my views or, or, or how, like, what about when our, 
our sons or our daughters or uh, our brother, sister, spouse, loved ones, when, when something happens to them or they start doing something that the Bible says is wrong, then, then it's a little harder to like follow God's word completely because we want to rationalize that because we don't want to think that they're going to go to hell and so forth. This is why Jesus says you've got to be willing to hate your mother. You've got to be willing to hate your father. You've got to be willing to hate your kids. Why? Because you can't put like things that uh, people that are close to you you, you, you can't put your relationship with them over against our relationship with him. That's being a lukewarm Christian. My real struggle is this in Christianity today, is that there's people who are like, yeah, I used to, my parents went, I'm a Christian. Oh, I got a tattoo, it's a nice tattoo, I'm a Christian, right? Well, that's not, that's not even lukewarm, right? But there's so many people out there. It, 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 once again, being a Christian's kind of become like, you know, being a Jew, it's just our identity, even if it's not really manifesting itself through our actions. But here's the greatest problem, I think, in the church today is that, like, there's just not an integration between faith and life. That, that Jesus says that you've got to be willing, like, to deny yourself. There's got to be the struggle of what you want to do versus what you, you are doing. You've got to be taking up your cross. You've got to be being persecuted. You've got to be willing to put me against before family. You've got to be willing to put me before your house, your home, and your material things. All these, like, the way it plays out in our lives, we just, we're not living that. From like the movies we watch to the places we go to how much we drink to where our kids' sporting events come into the place of our lives to, you know, all these different things like, like church and culture are just, they're, they're like this. They're just intertwined. But, but, but church and faith has to penetrate culture and it's got to change the way that we live and the way that we follow I think Jesus weeps over the church nowadays just like he wept over the church in his day. Look at what he, look, look at how he weeps over Israel in Matthew 23, 37 to 38. Jesus says this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who, you've killed the prophets and you've stoned those that, that have been sent to you. How often? I, I've, I've longed to gather your children together, Jerusalem. I've, I've longed as a hen gathers her chicks under the wings. I want to gather Israel back unto to me. But you are not willing. And look, your house has been left empty and desolate. Jesus is weeping. He's literally lamenting over the church of his day. And I can't help but think in, in, in a church that has adopted this false gospel of, of comfort that Jesus weeps for us as well. I, I honestly, I, I hope that like what we're in right now in 2020 is this awakening, right? Because how, how, does, how does Jesus like, how does he make us into being a better follower of him? It's not through comfort. It's through refining us through fire. It's through the suffering. It's through the pain. Like, you know, I mean, I've got like a lot of health issues. I don't pray for those health issues to be gone because I, I know that through them, you know, I, I know who I am and I know who he is. And, and, and I look to him rather than look to myself, right? Suffering's good. It makes us who we are. It's how you get the impurities out of, of, of gold. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Like people think 2020 is bad. I hope 2021 is worse. Why? Be, because I think the, the, the church needs to be reborn. And I think through suffering, you know, God's calling the church back to repentance, to a true gospel rather than a gospel of comfort. You know, there's a really interesting story that's found in the Bible, and it's, it's the last thing that Jesus, the last really instruction Jesus gives his disciples before going to heaven. He says, you know what, I'm going to leave, and when I leave, the, the Father's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to come, and when the Spirit comes, I need you to leave Jerusalem. Start here in Jerusalem, but I need you to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth with, with the gospel, with the true gospel. And so Jesus leaves, he goes to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes to this earth, and what, did, what do the followers of Jesus do? They stay in place. They don't leave Jerusalem. Why? It was the last thing that Jesus told them to do. The reason that they didn't is because we want comfort. They had good jobs. They, they had friends. They had nice homes. They were making good money. You know, they, it was a comfortable place. And so they weren't willing to, to leave. So what does God have to do? God comes and he sends what the Bible says is a great persecution broke out. People like great people, amazing people like Stephen are being stoned, are being killed. Their bodies are being seen in the streets. Why, why would God do that? Well, because it's only through persecution. It's only through suffering that in the end we stop like leaning on this false gospel of comfort and that we learn to God, learn to look to God. So when the suffering takes place, the people flee, they run for their lives and now they're finally doing what work God has called them to to do. You know, not long after the earth was created, God destroyed the earth with a flood. And when God destroyed the earth with a flood, like people were just, they, they were just going, they were just doing life, man. They were going out to dinner. They were like, you know, taking their kids to their sporting events. They were hanging out at the, you know, bars and they were like going to work and, you know, building and just carrying on. They were enjoying life. And then suddenly, like, the wrath of God came upon the earth, and he destroys the whole earth, and the only people that were saved were those that were on that ark. Jesus says that as it was in the days of Noah, that's exactly how it's going to be at the day of the Son of Man, that people are going to be just living a life of comfort. They're going to be marrying, giving in marriage. They're going to be eating. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be celebrating. They're just going to be having a good time. And at a time that they don't expect it, then Christ will return and it's going to be over. Listen, I don't know if that's going to be a hundred years. I, I can't imagine it's going to be a thousand. It's just like things, uh, we'll destroy ourselves before then. Things are just getting too crazy. And so John Elvis and I have talked about, you know what, we wonder if this is a time in which God is just refining his church and he's getting as many people on that proverbial ark before in those days the Son of Man returns just as it was before. Listen, this is hard stuff, it's difficult stuff, but I pray what we get from it is that we don't so much chase in this world a life of comfort but a recognition of what the true gospel is, that you are separated from God, that you deserve hell, that you need to repent, but God loves you so much that he sent his son so that you can have that perfect and eternal life that's supposed to be in heaven, not in this earth. Now, take up your cross and follow him. And whenever Jesus gives hard teachings like this, it's usually followed by these words. For those who have ears, let them hear. I pray that we would all have ears. Would you join me in a word of prayer?
Merciful Almighty God, just thank and praise you for this word, this word that is not a word that as people we would like to hear, but as I preach it, I'm not trying to please people, but we're just trying to be faithful to you. Gracious God, help us to wrestle with this message. Help us to integrate our faith in a much greater way into our lives. Not that salvation is earned. It comes solely through the blood of Jesus Christ. But for us to pay attention to the, the many times it's been spoken that we've been called to take up our cross, to follow, to, to, to do the will of, um, of the Father, and to put the words of Christ into practice. Gracious God, give us the desire and the ability um, by the power of your spirit to do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.